Good morning. I didn't get up here before right now, so it's good to see everybody. Good to see everyone's faces. Sorry if I missed you as you, you walked in, uh, but great to have you here this morning. It's kind of cool this morning, a little choral thing going on there, you know? That's kind of, I thought it was good. Anyways, you're all like, yeah, 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 whatever. Oh, good stuff. Good music. Well, welcome back to week two of our series through Ruth. Uh, go ahead and turn there in your Bible or your device, whatever it is that you use. There's a Bible there in the chairs, page 279, if you're using that. It's in the Old Testament, and um, it's just a, a small four-chapter book, but there's a, a lot of good stuff in it. And so uh, there's a, an overriding truth that we're going to see here as we go through um, Ruth, and we're kind of referring back to it each week, and that is God works through godly people to bring about his plans. And I'm, we're kind of making it general by saying plans because really the story is a, a, a historical story. I mean, it actually happened. But it's a story within a story within a story. So there's three different stories really happening here. <clears throat> the first one is this, this love story. And, and I know we're going to have to wait till next week, and some of you guys are really excited about, come on, Harold, cannot wait till we get to the love story. Um, you ladies... I know you're not really big into the whole love story, but I know guys in our church, man, we are all about love stories, right? Yeah. You guys think that we're not in touch with our feminine side. We know. We got you covered. Anyways, that's next week. So come back next week. Talk a little bit more about that love story. More importantly, it's a story about God's love for people who are hurting and how he uses godly people to, to meet their needs. Something we're going to talk about next week as well is that there's another aspect to the story, and the story is that God is using this time, where it's a very dark time in the history of Israel, to protect and, and um, work his plan, keep his plan going to demonstrate his ultimate greatest love for mankind, and that is his forgiving men of their sin. And so we're going to talk more about that next week. Uh, I don't want to, you know, give you too much of that, but it'll hopefully motivate you to get into Ruth and, and read through it. But for today, we're going to look at how God met some the needs of these two ladies that we talked about last week, Naomi and, um, and Ruth. Uh, these are two ladies who, um, by no choice of their own, found themselves in a pretty bad spot. Um, both of their husbands have died. They are destitute. Uh, and if God doesn't do something for them, it's... Their lives are going to be very difficult, potentially ruined, um, potentially could even end their lives if things don't go well. Naomi has uh, spent 10 years in Moab. She's from Bethlehem in Israel, but she's just spent 10 years in Moab. We talked about that last week, how she went to Moab, or actually her husband made the decision to go to, to Moab. Not a good choice. Um, walking outside of God's protection and provision. And they went to Moab, to an enemy land. And while they were there, he passes away, the sons pass away. So Naomi makes a, a good choice, a godly choice, to go back to Israel, to, to go back under God's protection and provision. And with her is Ruth. It's her Moabite daughter-in-law. And the cool thing about Ruth is that not only did she make a commitment to Naomi, saying, hey, I'm going to go back with you, I'm going to make sure I care for you, but in doing that, she made a declaration back in chapter 1 that her God, Naomi's God, would be Ruth's God. In other words, she was going to say, I'm not going to do life anymore the way I used to do life and looking to 
you know, the gods that we worship to meet my needs. I'm going to go and put myself under the God of Israel and have him protect me, him take care of me. And so we learned a couple things last week. The first one was that others, uh, other people's choices can ruin us. All right? So sometimes we find ourselves in a mess, not because we've made the choice. I mean, I think we've all found ourselves in messes by choices that we've made. But sometimes our life is a mess because of what somebody else has done. And that's what happened to Naomi and what happened to Ruth. But we also found out that godly choices will restore us. And so we kind of looked at this, uh, these three things last week. You can go to the next one. It says that God's provision, his healing, rarely comes through miraculous work on his part, but it comes through godly people doing life God's way. Too often, I think we, we, we want to see God do something miraculous, do some, change things today, you know. We don't want this ongoing thing. We want to change. We want to change today. Do something miraculous. We've got to understand something. In the Bible, as we look through the Bible, yeah, miracles happen. It's awesome. But there was hundreds of years of, uh, of time between miracles happening a lot of times. And so, in other words, those hundred years, a couple hundred years, three, four hundred years, it was just people doing life God's way, the way he wanted them to do it. The miracles come and go. They're not that... It's, it's not something regular that God does. He primarily works through people who day in, day out, no matter what the circumstances, no matter how they're feeling or what they're thinking, do life God's way. Look at what God's word says. It says, I'm going to take a step of faith based on what God says he's going to do, and I'm going to do that which he tells me to do. And if you want to see God's provision as healing in our lives or in the lives of others, we have to be doing life God's way. So with that review, let's see what God does in the lives of Naomi and Ruth uh, in chapter 2. I'm going to read the whole thing. So hang in there with me. I'm going to try to make it as exciting as I possibly can. Um, so I know I have an awesome voice to listen to. Um, so some of you will probably fall asleep because it's just so melodious and, and wonderful. And if you do, that's fine. We'll just hit you with a squirt gun and wake you back up. So it says this, starting in verse 1. Now, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth. And uh, if you read other versions, they'll even add into that, a man of great character. That's really kind of what that word wealth there is. not just financial. The guy was wealthy in a sense of character. He was a godly man. He was of the family of Elimelech, which is Naomi's husband, whose name was Boaz. Now, the narrator is telling us this. So we're sitting here reading this story, and we know who Boaz is, but we have to remember, Ruth doesn't know who Boaz is. All right, So as she's going through this process, we know something that she doesn't know. And uh, she'll eventually find out, but for now, she's got no clue. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the heirs of grain after one who's, uh, in whose sight I may find favor. So she's going to go, and if you're familiar with that word gleaning, it's uh, after the harvesters go through the field picking the barley or the wheat. Then there's people who come based off of what God commanded Israel back in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, that they would come along and they would pick up whatever was left over. And God said, hey, you can go ahead and do that for the poor and for those who are foreigners and leave some there so they could pick it up. And so that's what she wants to do. Um, and so she's hoping to find somebody who will find whose eyes she'll find favor, somebody who will show her some grace because she doesn't know anybody, right? 
And so she's just going to go out there, and hopefully they're going to let her do this, but they might not. And so Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened, which is a word that happens a couple times here in Ruth. It's almost like, you know, is it luck or is it God's sovereignty at work here? All right, so there's no such thing as luck, so God's sovereignty is at work here. She just happens to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who, again, she doesn't know, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, or now it happened, that Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, looks over and he sees somebody he doesn't know, and whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned from, with Naomi from the land of Moab. Everybody knows Ruth, right? And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now, and she's sitting over there in the house for a little while. In other words, she's been at this all morning. She's just taking a little break, all right? A little, little tired. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen carefully, my daughter. And that's a, a reference. To, uh, he knows who she is. She doesn't know who he is. But he realizes, okay, this is his family. And she's younger. So, you know, he kind of gives his little, my daughter. Uh, do, not go, uh, do not go glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Boaz replied, now this, this word in Hebrew has this idea that he spoke loudly. So he wants everybody to know why he's giving her this preferential treatment. All right? And so he says this nice and loudly, loudly. All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your, of your husband has been fully reported to me. So I, I know all about you, Ruth, and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight. So if there's somebody who is going to show me some grace, who's going to take care of me, even though I don't necessarily deserve it. So I found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here that you may eat of the bread and, and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. Anybody find that kind of uh, yummy? Mmm, bread and vinegar. So I said at the 9 o'clock, someone pulled me aside and gave me a little bit more history into what it meant by putting, you know, I put olive in there, you know, olive juice. And, it, and I said, yeah, then there's bacon and there's a steak. And you know, she didn't appreciate that. But anyways, hey, don't come correcting me. I told her, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Jeez, you guys. Uh, anyways, but wouldn't bacon be good at that point? Anyways, so she sat beside the, the reapers and he served her roasted grain. So... Boaz comes over and serves her. And she ate and was satisfied and had some left. When she arose to glean, Boaz commanded his servant, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not insult her. Also you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, 20 the 40 pounds worth of grain, this lady 
was able to get. She took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. In other words, her leftovers from lunch, which nobody ever gets my leftovers. Uh, Sorry, I should maybe learn something from this. I don't know. Her mother-in-law then said to her, where did you glean today and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the name of the man whom I have worked today is Boaz. So now she's going to hear about who he is. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, The man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. Next week we'll play into that. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, Furthermore, he said to me, You should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go with his maid so that others do not fall upon you or jump you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, which was three to four months. And she lived with her mother-in-law. And so it's kind of given us a sense that time is passing here. You know, we're reading it quickly as four chapters. We think it's having boom, 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 boom. But this is taking a process of a few months. And so there's two qualities that we want to look at today that characterize godly people. In the midst of difficult times, whether they've made it difficult for themselves or somebody else has made life difficult for them, there's two qualities that come out that we need to look at today. The first one is that uh, godly people do the hard work of obeying God. All right, we'll talk a little bit more about that. And then godly people do the gracious work of helping others. And we're going to see this in Ruth, we're going to see this in Boaz, we're going to also see this in Naomi, at least receiving some of this. So we have this idea of this gracious work or this grace-filled work. Um, but it's all hard, all right? So everything we do in life is hard, right? Uh, anybody seen a meme going around on Facebook? Because again, everything on Facebook is, is real um, and true. But life's hard. You know, marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. You choose your heart. And so life is hard. We think we have it hard. Uh, that's the other thing. Let me just say this before we get into this. We have a tendency to sterilize Bible stories. Uh, maybe it's the fact that we had them up on a flannel graph when we were kids, and there's this little person standing there, you know, sticking up to the, and they fall, and kids would laugh at it. If you grew up in church, you know what I'm talking about. Um, if you didn't, way to go. No, I mean, uh, you know, flannel graph is always kind of an interesting thing. But anyways, we have this tendency to sterilize it. And we have this picture of, you know, this uh, beautiful young lady, which, by the way, it's never mentioned whether Ruth was good-looking or not. The beauty that she had was all inside. It was her inner beauty that we keep talking about, that we keep hearing about her, her commitment, uh, her quality as a person, not so much as uh, for her outside looks. But anyways, but we have this picture. She's, you know, beautiful, well-dressed, makeup on, you know, just beautiful, perfect. She comes out to the field, and the field is this beautiful barley field or wheat field, and it's blowing in the wind, and birds are singing. It's a sunny day, and everyone smells good, and everyone looks good. And that's not at all what's happening here. We have it easy today. We put on warm clothes on a 10-degree day, and we jump into our preheated warm cars. At least some of you guys have those. I have no clue what that looks like. But anyways, some of you guys have those. So you jump into your warm car, and you drive through the non-snow, and you get here to church, and it's a warm building, and you're around your warm church family, and life is good. And we say, man, life is so hard. Man, it's not at all hard for us. What Ruth had to go through 
That was hard. And so we need to do the hard work of obeying God. Ruth didn't wait for a miracle. We read through this. She wasn't sitting there at home. I'm just going to pray about this, keep praying about this, and praying about this, and God's going to fix the problem for me. She could have sat there. She could have sulked, right? She could have just been blaming other people. She could have blamed Naomi. She could have blamed Elimelech. She could have blamed her husband. She could have blamed a lot of different people for the condition and situation that she found herself in, but she didn't do that. She didn't sit there and wait for somebody to, to dump some money on her front porch or go into town even and sit down and, and have people give her money as she sat there. What she did is she took a step of faith. She did the hard work of obeying God. And this work that she was doing is, is hard in, in three different ways. First of all, the work itself is hard, right? What she's doing is hard. She started early in the morning and didn't take a break till midday. Have you, have you ever gleaned? Has anybody ever uh, thrown uh, hay bales? Loaded hay bales. Okay, some of you guys do. Never have. Heard stories. Never will. <laughs> I don't mind saying I'm a wimp. Um, but I've heard stories. I remember when I was a youth pastor, the, the kids that were, were doing it, they'd come in after a long day of throwing hay bales, and they were just, you could tell they were you know, sunburned and tired and you know, sitting over in the back, completely dehydrated, you know, drinking down some more pop. Get some water in you. Gleaning, I'm thinking about it. all day long, from early morning to evening with a couple breaks, I'm not even going to try to do it because I don't need some help getting back up. Down getting grain off of dirt all day long. Not just all day long, but she did it for at least three or four months. Picking up grain, what little grain she could find. And over here, just moving along. That can't be good on a person's back. That can't be good on a person's morale. The work itself that she was doing was difficult, but she went ahead and did what she was supposed to do, and she did it consistently for a long period of time. Not only was the work hard, but the, the work environment, the conditions were rough, not just of the physical work, but the relationships, the people that she had to work with. I mean, think about your coworkers. You know, you got to pray for Dave. His coworkers are. You know, talk about work conditions. Poor Dave's got to work with me. But her work conditions. First of all, she was a Moabite. We're constantly reminded in Ruth that she's a Moabite. The narrator is constantly reminding us that this is a lady who was raised as an enemy of Israel. And so now this enemy of Israel, in spite of the fact that what she, what she has done, it doesn't necessarily mean everybody thinks Ruth is an awesome person. She shows up in, in a field. Again, everybody knows Ruth. They also know she's a Moabite. She shows up in the field. And would God you know, meet her needs? She's the one who's come under God's authority. She's the one who says, God's going to take care of me. God's way of doing life is the way I want to do life. And so she, but, but man, when, you, when she was going to take that step into the field where all these other Jewish people were, would God come through for her? Would the Jewish people be obedient and let her do it? Because again, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, they both said, hey, 
You know, God says, you need to let the poor and let the foreigner glean. But this is not just an everyday foreigner. This is an enemy. She's going to be taking food out of the mouths of little poor Jewish kids. You think the Jewish people are going to be like, hey, yeah, Ruth, come on, awesome. The environment is not good. Boaz had to tell people, don't touch her. Why? Because they, obviously, (laughs) there's been times where people have jumped each other. They got more grain than I got. I want their grain. And so there's going to be fighting going on. We can picture that, right? We get that. We, we know that there's enough evil in our world to know that this is probably not a real good situation where you have people from all over the city coming into these fields where these hardworking people are earning a living just taking food, taking grain. Boy, so you, you, you Don't insult her. Don't even yell at her. Why? Because that's what they would have done to her. This isn't an easy thing for Naomi to do. Could you imagine the gossip sessions going around with the other maidservants? Yeah, Ruth. She's just one of those Moabites. And here's here's Boaz treating her like she's some sort of queen or something. Can't believe her. And, you know, I, I don't know what places you guys have worked at, but I could see this happening. I've seen this happen, not even in a field. You know, I've seen these in businesses, and I've seen this in schools, and I've seen this, sadly, in some churches. People kind of bumping other people out, making sure that they're going to get their own and not let somebody else get ahead. So her work environment was a bad situation. And then all that together makes trusting God difficult, right? I mean, she's got, she's got to look at God's word. You can go to the next slide. She's got to trust that what God said back in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, which is hundreds of years prior to what's going on, just like we have to go into God's word and see what he says about our situation, even though it's thousands of years before we're going through what we're going through. She had to go back and she had to go, okay, wait a second. My, my world tells me I'm an enemy of Israel and yeah, I've done some nice things, but I know that these, are, these people aren't necessarily all really nice people. And so I know that if I, if I even take the step of trusting God, what if these people do this to me? Or what if these people do that to me? What if, what if, what if? And as Christians, we do this all the time. Yeah, God's word says to do this, but what if? What if people make fun of me? What if people give me a hard time? What if people don't let me accomplish what I think God wants me to accomplish? And so trusting God in these conditions was hard. But Ruth didn't play the what-if game. She was a woman who said, listen, I've committed myself to come under God's authority, to come under God's promises and God's protection and God's fighting for me, and I'm going to take a step of faith and I'm going to do something that's scary, that's hard, that's difficult. I don't even know what the outcome's going to be. I'm just going to trust that God's got it. And then God shows up. I mean, not personally, but God shows up in who? 
He shows up in the work, the response of a godly person. A godly person who does the grace-filled work of helping others. Boaz shows up and gives her the grace, the favor that she needed. Now, I've done some background study on this, and it's interesting how a lot of the commentators are really kind of focusing in on the fact that Boaz is older and he's single and Ruth is younger and she's single. And so this is where they start kind of working this whole love story thing going. Personally, I, 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 this is just me saying, I don't necessarily buy this right now. I think eventually you may go there. But right now, <clears throat> I think this is a godly man, older man, who sees a young lady who needs his help, a lady who has committed herself to a relative of his, and he says, I'm going to help her out. Why? Because I see a godly woman here who's doing life God's way, and I want to help her do that. I want to show her God's love, God's faithfulness. And so godly people do grace-filled work of helping others. He said, hey, I'm going to provide for you, and I'm going to protect you. I've got you covered. You go do what you need to do. You do the work that you need to do, but I've got you covered. I'm going to back you up. He was impressed with her loyalty and commitment to Naomi. Again, she's a godly woman, great character. And he's like, man, I want to, want to help her out. He knew she chose to trust God over her other gods. She made a huge decision to come and, and put herself under the authority of, of God. He wanted God to bless her, which is interesting, because he's his answer to his prayer. God, you know, because he says, may the Lord bless you. So it's kind of like saying, God, bless her. May her work be full. And then what happens? He becomes the answer. He makes it possible for her work to be full twice as much as other people. He personally served her, which shows a, just a really great respect for her. And he wanted everybody else to see, hey, we need to respect this lady. And then he allows her to glean alongside the harvesters. So before, the harvesters would go, They'd cut things down, and then the other guys would come, and they would, you know, wrap it up and tie it up, and then they would get that out of the way, and then the gleaners would come. So whatever is left is what they got. But uh, Boaz was saying to Ruth is, and to his servants, was, hey, you let her go with you as you're cutting things down. She's going to be right there. She's going to be under your feet. She's going to be picking up all the good stuff. Don't tell her not to do that. Don't yell at her. Don't tell her to get out from underneath you. Just let her do that because I'm telling you, I want her to do that. Because godly people, when they see other godly people trying to do life God's way, do that grace-filled thing, and they assist, they help that person. They come alongside. The cool thing is that the grace that Boaz showed Ruth allowed Ruth then to show grace, favor, to Naomi. She could have taken that grain, by the way, and she could have sold that. You realize that, right? And probably got some good money out of it. But she doesn't. So she shows her grace to Naomi. She takes the 20 to 40 pounds of grain after a long day, carries that home. Legs were probably wobbling underneath her the first time she ever did it, but after that, then she was kind of like, you know, rocky. She brings it home. Like I said, that's twice as much as what a normal 
person could do, a gleaner could get. Um, they say those who know this kind of stuff say it probably would last them 10 days or so um, because of the diet that they had. Then Naomi prays for God's blessing on Boaz. She, you know, man, may God bless Boaz for what he's done. Now, if you've read ahead, you kind of know there's something more going on with Naomi's, you know, wants to see Boaz blessed, right? But then Ruth continued to be blessed and to bless for three to four months at least because she was out at the barley harvest. She was out at the wheat harvest. That takes about four months, they say. So she was out there on a regular basis, gleaning that way, getting the grain, working hard, doing life God's way, seeing God provide for her. Well, the showing of grace, a favor, doesn't end here. Again, if you've been reading ahead, I hope you have been, you know that there's grace and favor that's continued to be seen in here. Because again, remember, uh, Boaz is a, an older gentleman, he's single, and Ruth is a, a younger lady, evidently, and single, and Naomi is a very good mother-in-law who sees, I think I can maybe work some things out here to meet both of their needs, if you know what I'm talking about. So, that, but that's next week, I don't want to get ahead of myself, uh, that's next week, you'll have to read ahead and then come back next week to see exactly how that plays out. Because uh, there's some interesting things, and guys, I wouldn't suggest asking your wives to do what Naomi has Ruth do. Again, you're going to have to read ahead to find out what all that is. But as the band comes up, let's uh, let's look at some takeaways. Because I don't want to I don't want to give you all the good stuff this week. Let's look at some takeaways. And again, they're they're pretty pretty obvious, um, but not necessarily easy. So the first one is this. <clears throat> Wherever you find yourself, if you're, if you're a person whose life, you're going through difficult times because of what other people have um, done in your life, the choices that they've made have put you in a bad spot, or whether your own choices have put you in a bad spot. The thing we need to pull from this is that do the hard work of obeying God. Because life is hard. Whether you do life God's way or not, it's still going to be hard. God never said our world is going to be an easy world to live in. I know that the news keeps telling us that we shouldn't have sickness in our lives and we shouldn't have problems in our lives and life should be uh, peachy keen and all kinds of good. But it's not, and we all know that. But here's the difference. If we say, okay, I'm going through this difficult time, what, whatever it is, whatever the difficulty is, and the Lord's probably bringing something to your mind, you can do it your way. But if you continue to do it your way, you only have you backing you up. Because God doesn't give you what you need to continue to walk away from Him. He doesn't, He's a loving Father. He won't do that. He'll let you feel the consequences of your decisions. So you can do that, and God's like, I'm not going to force myself on you. Or you can do it God's way. As hard as it might be, as weird as it might be, as on, um, people are saying, why in the world are you doing life that way? You do it God's way. Why? Because when you do it God's way, you've got God backing you up. You got God saying, you do it my way. I'm going I'm to provide for you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to be there for you. Ruth experienced that by doing the hard thing of going out and gleaning because God said, hey, go glean. And so she did. 
We need to be able to go and do life God's way, knowing that God's going to provide, protect, and fight for us. We need to get up, pray about it, great, but get up and do what it is God's called you to do. I got to do the same thing in my life. I got to get up and do what God's called me to do in my life and trust that he's going to take us through it. He's got our back. And secondly, is this, do the grace-filled work of helping others. Don't just pray for others. Be the answer to, their, to your prayers. And we do this on Thursdays, and we, we pray for each other. We share prayer requests, and we pray for each other. And, and that's great, and we need to be praying for people. But whether you're the person who's going through a difficult time or not, look for ways to help other people who are trying to do life God's way. One of the great ways of experiencing God's healing, if we're the one going through a difficult time, is actually helping somebody else go through a difficult time. Now you got two people helping each other walk through that difficult time. And the cool thing is, like I said, with Boaz, he was his own answer to prayer. We need to be our answer to to our prayer for somebody else. We see somebody going through a difficult time, Lord, bless them, help them. God, how can I help them? What do you want to do in and through me? Because God works through godly people who have godly responses to people that are in need. You know, I've talked about them. You know, we've got our adult groups that we're going to meet, that are forming. We've got our micro groups that are forming. That's all part of that. It's all part of coming together, helping each other walk through those difficult times. They've closed out.